welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Good Faith Idea Exchange. Today's episode is a special, Part 1 of a two-parter titled A Conversation About Race. Um, It's a conversation about race in America, an honest conversation about where we are currently and how far we still have to go. You know, this is one of those difficult conversations that for a lot of people, you know, they have trouble really putting this out there and really speaking honestly, you know, and and sharing their opinions, you know, sharing how they feel um, about topics such as this, especially in light of how much, um, you know, how much we've seen and heard regarding race in America. You know, this is one of those things that's just kind of the point of the podcast, um, you know, that we can have some of these difficult conversations and still just be honest with one another, be genuine to one another, for no one to take anything personal and not pass judgments on another person based on what they may think or what they may feel. I think it's, you know, very important that we all understand even though we may not see eye to eye on certain things, we can still share our opinions and exchange ideas in good faith without, without all the extra crap. Anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Uh, so my last point was that I, I think even the people who are super extreme to either side, mm-hmm. politically, uh, right or left, would blame you know, the conservative or the liberal media, right? Like if, if you are dogmatic in your political beliefs, you assume that the other side's media are the reason that these stupid, stupid sheeple, as I keep seeing on the internet, right? Uh, this is a big joke now. I actually hate the term. Um, yeah, no, right. But but they they assume that the media is, is at fault for brainwashing these these you know poor ignorant people or whatever it is. I think it takes a a particular perspective to be able to take a step back and realize that like none of us are the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Uh, and that everybody is skewed, controlled, whatever it is, to a degree by the media as a whole, right? It doesn't matter which side. They're not telling you the truth um, because they make money off of you being mad at the other. Right. But yeah, I, I'd say um, uh, it's unfortunate. Well, it's kind of unfortunate. It's unfortunate that it happened, but it's maybe a good thing that we as Americans have a quote unquote, like, common enemy because like at least people can get their head out of their ass long enough to realize that like oh my neighbor is not the problem <laughs> like yeah this billion dollar machine multi you know multi-billion dollar machine it is the reason that like if i wake up and i'm gonna watch the news with my coffee right they're gonna you know pitch me the latest outrage story knowing that it's probably gonna piss me off for the day exactly um, yeah and, and i don't know i and i think it, it's maybe a silver lining that we we can all at least come together in that regard and realize that like it's happening to all of us. It's not one side or the other. You know, I, and I guess, um, yeah, I guess we can talk about this too, but you know, we had talked before about um, a while back about, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the murder of George Floyd and then the protests, the riots that followed, um, you know, all of that. And, I feel like, you know, when I see what, you know, everything that, you know, everything that transpired from that, 
it, it was something that started at initially following the murder of George Floyd. I, I feel like it, it was something that started initially that, you know, was really beautiful to see. Like the, the beautiful part to me was people actually being open and, you know, a lot of these things that people usually would not talk about and, you know, would just kind of keep under, more under the table. A lot of this stuff uh, was was starting to be talked about in an honest fashion, you know, on the internet, um, over the phone, all kinds of different stuff. And, you know, I thought that was really, really awesome. But over time, I feel like the narrative got mutated into something completely different. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when I think about what has come from everything that happened last year, you know, getting rid of, getting rid of the Confederate, you know, trying to get rid of the Confederate monuments, the Confederate flag, trying to get rid of Aunt Mama pa- pancake syrup, all that stuff. Like, I feel <laughs> okay. like, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, that is not what we asked for. That's not what we wanted. Are you saying that as an African-American, you don't feel like your life has improved because of these things? Well, I feel like if you're talking about change, um, that is the sort of like there, there's different sorts of change that that change is symbolic change. That's not um, the sort of change that's really going to that, that's that's not the sort of change that needs to happen now. Um, when we're talking about human lives, where we're talking about human safety, I don't you know, that's not the sort of change that that people want. And, um, you know, when you're talking about safety, um, I feel like the change that should happen at the, at the, that should have happened at the start, if, you know, should have been, you know, real legislative change, you know, like there, there was a law that there, there was a bill that, you know, never quite got signed in the law that, uh, was going to do away with qualified immunity. You know, that, and, and I know that initial bill was, um, you know, brought forth by, I believe it was Tim Scott, a Republican, but um, I know, you know, the argument was that that was kind of, you know, that w- that wasn't enough. It was more of a Band-Aid, but, you know, still, it was better than nothing at the time. I felt like uh, doing something that actually can start to change the laws and in effect, over time, began to, you know, force a certain cultural change, you know, within the police as a whole. You know, I think that was more the kind of change that needed to happen. When people start to be held accountable for their actions, when, when the bad people who are doing bad things to others start being held accountable for their actions, that's when things really can start to change. But, you know, this other stuff that's been going on, that is, you know, that's been kind of broadcasted all over the media. That's not really the change that, you know, a lot of people really want to see. That is more just, you know, dividing people even further. You know, like at, at the beginning of, you know, real change like you need to like you want to see you want to see laws actually be put in place and if that's not if that's not going to happen 
um, then what real change is really, is there what's really happening, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I was being intentionally sarcastic when I asked you if oh, yeah. you felt like your life had, had improved just because I don't know. I, like, so I, for everyone listening, I'm not black. Um, I know that may sound shocking to some of you, um, but uh, I, I never, I, I just, it's hard for me to identify with like the Confederate statue issue. Like I, I, I understand the, the basic premise of the fact that like it obviously represents like a pretty dark time in our nation's history. Like that, that is not lost on me. Um, the, I think the part that I, it was hard for me to wrap my head around is like, what is the improvement by like tearing it down or like uh, just as a society getting rid of history. Like we don't have a lot of history in this country compared to the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. If you go to uh, literally anywhere overseas, uh, specifically in the European areas, like they have churches older than this nation. So like, I I'm not a big fan of us getting rid of any historical fact or sculptures or whatever it is from our history, good or bad, because like, we just don't have very much of it. But like, I, I I've never quite understood like the, the improvement that is like, Oh, now, you know, the nation's capital doesn't have a statue of some general that like, I probably don't even really know much about. Right. I, I, I don't know. I just, I, that part never really understood or, or, or clicked with me, but um, like the answer Mima thing, uh, if I'm not mistaken, like I, I think that her family actually like didn't want her removed from it because they no longer get royalties from, from the company. Uh, and I could be totally wrong about that, but like, I, my point is, is it seems like there's bigger fish to fry, which I think was your whole point. Like <clears throat> that stuff's fine. If like, if that's one of the low hanging fruit things that we get to at some point. Right. But like, until there's legislation put into place, uh, your life on the daily is not going to change in any real practical sense. And the scary thing is like, like you said, like Tim Scott, who is a Senator from my home state, South Carolina, he's really well loved there by pretty much everyone. In fact, like Republican Democrat, like people in South Carolina really love him um, because he's sensible. Usually I feel like nationally now, like he's gotten a lot and I mean a lot of hate. And it, it's it's just hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that like uh, you've got this really successful, smart, like like perfect picture of a guy, right? Who meets all of the candidates. Like, I don't know. It just reminds me like Barack Obama is like one of the most well-loved African-American figures because like he's the perfect, he's the perfect front man for literally anything. If he was white, he would have been the perfect front man. You know what I mean? And I feel like Tim Scott is like the senatorial version of that. He's just like the perfect front man. Like the if you wanted to put forth an African-American candidate, like the guy knocks it out of the park. Well, um, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't really know that much about him. So I'm not going to forget uh, his politics. I'm talking about just him as a person. Like if you speak with him, he's just a genuine pleasure to be around, which anyone should want white, black, red, yellow, doesn't matter. Right. Like you, you should want your representatives to be people that are like personable. They're kind. Uh, and, and you feel like when you're talking to them that they have a clue, you know what I mean? Right. And I got you. He, he has all that. So it's just a shame that like the guy puts forth legislation that you're right. Like maybe qualified immunity doesn't fix everything, but like it doesn't go anywhere. And it's because people don't want to support him because he's Republican. 
you know, I, I think as far as, you know, that bill that was, you know, you know, attempted to, to go through, you know, obviously some people felt that, um, felt that it wasn't enough. Um, right. you know, I, I personally felt that, you know, even though it might not have been enough, it could have at least been a start, but, uh, you know, right now, yeah. Meanwhile, right now, here we are in the middle of twenty of twenty twenty one, and you know we still haven't, um, you know, on Capitol Hill, they still haven't gotten gotten anything forth that um, you know has actually really you know done what done what's needed to be done. And unfortunately, you know, when you're dealing with these two extremes, like the extreme conservative side of things and the extreme liberal side of things. I mean, you're talking about, you're probably either going to have something that's going to be either on one extreme or something that's going to be either on the other extreme. Yeah, that's um, true. And, you know, you're going to, you know, th- now that, you know, now you're probably going to have something, um, a bill introduced that's going to be, have a lot of favor um, on the hev- heavily liberal side. It's probably going to, introduce some things that um, a lot of people in the middle and on um, on the right are probably not going to like either. But, you know, I, I know that uh, <laughs> while that back and forth is going on, more, more stuff is happening because, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think I've mentioned this before, but as far as the figures from 2019 go, you know, when you're talking about how many African-Americans actually, you know, lost their lives at the hands of, um, at the hands of police officers, um, you know, as far as um, first generation, you know, wealthy countries go, you know, in 2019, uh, I believe it was around 270, you know, around 270 African-Americans um, were were killed by police officers in, in 2019. But, you know, the number of, of whites um, killed by um, police officers that same year uh, was close to 400, I believe, um, right around that mm-hmm. number. And, um, you know, so obviously the number of whites was, who, was, who was killed by police were is higher than the number of African-Americans. But... Of course, you know, African-Americans um, account for about 13% of the population. So that creates about 40, 40 million people, a little over 40 million people. The number of whites in um, America is well over 60%. Um, so you're talking about um, you know, maybe 210, 215 million. Well, either way, well over 200 million people. Therefore, the number of African-Americans who are being killed is at a higher rate than the, than the number of whites who are being killed. But when I, when, um, there's another, there's another statistic that, you know, talks about the number of people who were killed by police, um, as a whole in 2019. And that number is, is well over a thousand people. And, you know, at the same time, I feel like, um, something that, you know, everyone should kind of hopefully see and maybe realize is when you, when you put in, to account that the next highest number for a first generation country of people killed by law enforcement was like Canada with like 36 and then Australia with, you know, 20 something. Yeah. Maybe that represents 
some sort of problem. Maybe that represents an issue that needs to be dealt with and needs to be um, taken care of. And unless we start dealing with this, you know, and then we start dealing with this sooner rather than later, you know, it's going to, you know, it, I, don't, I don't think it's going to get any better. Um, yeah. I, I would just say two things. One, I think the Canada statistics probably more relevant than the Australia one, just because Australia is super tiny. And Texas probably has more people in it. Um, but I understand the sentiment. Two, I feel like this doesn't get any better until there's more training, which costs money. And so a lot of the talks right now around cutting budgets for police departments, lowering the amount of equipment allotted to various departments, all of that stuff. I don't foresee that being helpful. If anything, I think it might make it worse because police departments still have to exist for, for like the routine stuff, right? Like the, the the violent interactions with cops is like such a tiny percentage of their total interactions with the public, but those Aren't, they're just not going to get any better until you train train the officers well. Um, I think that they need to probably be harder on the screenings for for new officers. Uh, I know in a lot of places it's really easy to become a cop, uh, and I don't say that to disparage law enforcement. I know that the job that they do is impossible, and they're underpaid and overworked, just like every other government worker in the world, right? So, like, yeah. hear me when I say that. My wife used to be a teacher, and I fully understand the overpaid, underworked life uh, add on top of that right that it's dangerous and that just ratchets things up to 11 but if you're going to give these people military style vehicles and weapons uh and, and that sort of stuff and i'm not saying that they shouldn't have it i don't think it should be employed on the daily but i do know that there are situations that require it but if you're going to be giving officers these things and the ability to make you know life and death decisions right they need to be trained in the same way that we train our warfighters to do that. Uh, and you and I, I'm sure, can identify with kind of what that looks like. Like it's a lot of time mm. and a lot of effort and a lot of money. And you, you can't ask a guy who goes to the range once a month to shoot at a paper target to qualify to be, you know, an expert marksman. Or what if we just don't worry about pulling the lethal gun? What if we start to train people on? Hey, when there's a, you know a standoff or you've got someone being violent with more than one officer, how can we subdue these people peacefully? We do this overseas all the time, like to what you would consider an enemy combatant. So why can we not do this for American citizens? Yeah, well, I, I think at the same time, um, one thing, one change that I think we need to do is, you know, the, at the end of the day, man, they're they're. they're is no reason why we need to have why there should be people on the force with um, twelve priors on the record or eighteen priors on the record or hundred percent agree. Even if seven. you got if you got more than one violent offense, you got to go. And truthfully, if you have, I would say a two maybe a two strike rule on a brutality, just because like I don't know what rates as police brutality and what doesn't, but like you can't have people with a whole bunch of, you know, red flags in their records pulling up to make stops. Like you just can't do it. Right. You can't get away with that in any other job. Exactly. Exactly. And um, when you do have the cops who aren't 
who you know might have these sorts of records that never see never see the light of, that never sees the light of day and they get involved in these situations they get involved in these um violent arrests um maybe even shootings etc and you know like in in, in certain cases um for people like that um you know they need to be you know, they need to be held to a certain standard and when you when you know that really nothing's probably going to happen to you for doing something that you know you have no business doing you're probably you know what's stopping you from doing it again like yeah i i i feel like the um i feel like the police culture aligns with the military culture in a particular way and it's not a good one but i I do know that a lot of veterans especially you know ex-combat veterans who you know there's not much calling for a machine gunner in the civilian world right so you got to go find something that you can do well force protection falls under policing probably better than it does a lot of other things because of that i feel like there's a huge overlap in the veteran and police communities but my my whole point in all that was to say that I feel like you get that same like good old boys club, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Where like you might have your, your your staff sergeant saying, "Hey, man, if you get in that situation and this goes down, like come find me. We're gonna get our story straight, and then I'm, I'm you know we'll have your back." That sort of stuff, like I understand from the inside, is like usually for a good purpose, but like it it doesn't do anyone any favors if we let the bad apples stay because they're your boy. Yeah. And I, I know for a fact, because I know a lot of police officers and a lot of veterans for that matter. Uh, and, and that's the way that those worlds work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's part of the issue because like in, in the military, if you're, if you're kind of helping someone else out or if you're kind of covering, you know, some, someone kind of, you know, doing what you can to, help out someone who you think highly of, who you, you know, are, are close to whatever. And some of the, in, in many of the things that we do in the military consequence, you know, the, the, the consequence might not be the same. And I don't mean like punishment consequence, but I mean the consequence of doing that for someone else it, it's probably not going to be the same as a possible consequence of doing that when you're in law enforcement, because in law enforcement, you are dealing directly with the public at large. And that becomes the issue because you're talking about real people, like people's lives, you know, their safety. But, you know, regardless, um, I know that um, we haven't seen the last of this. I know there's going to be more stuff that's going to happen. you know, I myself, I can't really bring myself to, you know, watch another video of another unarmed black person being shot or anything like that. And it doesn't have to be by a police officer. It could be like an Ahmaud Arbery sort of situation or one of those situations like uh, Kendrick Johnson that never really sees the light of day or something like that. But I know that things definitely need to change. And when when you can't necessarily count on you know when when you don't when you don't necessarily have a lot of faith in those um you know certain elected officials appointed over you 
you know, sometimes it just kind of falls on us as people to do the best that we can and try to, you know, make whatever positive impact we, we all can as, as people, because at the end of the day, like we, the citizens, we have the power, like we've always had the power. And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, the, this, you know, this media juggernaut that's owned by very wealthy, powerful individuals who, you know, all have agendas and whatnot. Um, that's something that, you know, we're kind of, um, fooled into not realizing and not understanding, but, you know, as, as citizens that when you don't feel like you're being taken care of, when you don't feel like you're being listened to, when you don't feel like you're being protected, you have to do what you can to protect yourself. You know? For sure. I a hundred percent agree. I am. Um, I think that you can feel good about the fact that in line with what you were just saying, like you, you can't change the laws. You can, you can cast your vote like everyone else. Right. But elected officials are the kings of being letdowns. But I think you can feel really good about the fact that like you are doing what you can do, right? Even uh, w- with this platform, right? Like you're using your voice to have conversations about things that are important with with people who like aren't exactly like you, right? Like you and I don't share a lot of commonalities in the background. And I, I think it's just really cool. Uh, on top of the fact that this is on the internet, which has a damn near infinite reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes out to tons of people who don't have the same background or ideas as you. And you, you never know who you're going to impact. So the, this is a, a, a prime example of exercising your voice and doing what you can do, honestly, for, for yeah. the, the good of uh, everyone. So. All right. And that's the end of this episode. Um, that's the end of part one uh, conversation about race. Stay tuned next week for part two. In part two, I will be talking with a very different person who has some different viewpoints on this topic. And um, it's going to be quite the interesting conversation. So, um, if you have time for it, uh, feel free. Um, you know, I, I hope this topic doesn't make uh, too many people feel uncomfortable here. Uh, that is not my goal. However, it, I feel that it is important that we have these difficult conversations because if we ignore the you know heavy topics like this, we're holding what we feel inside. We're holding what we really feel in our hearts inside. And when you keep strong emotion bottled up, it has a way of manifesting itself one way or another. Um, so I think it's very important that we express ourselves and, um, you know, have these difficult conversations. Anyway, um, I hope you all have a great day. Thank you.